0: You're listening to Tiger's Eye, Episode 10.
1: Sometime later, I stand at the entrance of the village, absolutely exhausted. Upon one shoulder is a freshly killed quagga. Slung over the other is the woven haversack, with Miguel hiding inside, obscured from view, and rubbed all over with the Dalish nectar. Under my arm, I carry the Ibex and the decapitated Mamba. I hold these up in view as the people of the village gather before me, staying back. Their eyes are fearful, their ears flattened. Their frames are malnourished, and I can make out the ribs on several of them. Not starving yet, but most definitely very hungry. I'll lay down the quagga gently alongside the ibex and the mamba, step back a little, and bow my head respectfully, keeping one eye on the people in front of me in case a hurled spear or bolo emerges from the crowd. The cubs glance at the animal carcasses, and I distinctly spy the smacking of lips. I mime eating, point to the meat, point to the villagers, indicate the holes in my armor, and say two things, loud and clear. Trade. Leather? I use the keyword I know we have commonality on, from speaking with the Panthers earlier today. I hope they understand my word for leather. There is some quiet discussion, and then two figures step forward. One is an old, bent, and haggard-looking cat, his fur growing charcoal gray. He has only one lower limb, and supports himself by use of a crutch. The other is a tall female cub with stern, green eyes.
2: I am named Garrick. I speak a little tiger.
1: Merciful Rama.
2: You seek leather.
1: Yes, please, for my armor.
2: And we can have this food?
1: Of course. It appears you are in need of it. The cub speaks up angrily, pointing at the meat and then me. She particularly seems agitated about the snake.
2: My granddaughter says we should not trust you. Forgive me. I can see why she might not. Where are you bound?
1: North, towards the waterfall. His eyes, already heavy with sadness, take on more strain at these words.
2: I trust you well enough. shall here is my granddaughter. Please understand her fears, and those of all of us. You must not go that way. Why not? Our hunter is ranging the ruined city of Yamaya in the jungle to the north. Began disappearing some yesterdays ago. Those who went out to search for them did not return. Those who went out after the searchers also did not return. They went to ascertain the threat to protect us in smaller and smaller parties as we grew fewer. We dare not go that way anymore. It is cursed. We that remain must survive on what we can find upon our doorstep.
1: I have no choice but to head north. It is my journey. I will gladly eat with you if you do not trust the meat, but it seems like you have many bellies to fill. The cub glares at me, but lets her gaze drop to the food before her. I gingerly kneel and retrieve the snake. I crunch down a mouthful off the severed end. Having removed all traces of the venom gland, it is unpalatable, but safe. I swallow, and then lay the remaining serpent down. At my back, Miguel shifts slightly, controlling his breaths. In the stillness, the female cub stares at me and sniffs. All eyes of the tribe are upon Shawl. She is so young. I sigh and start to pick up the ibex again. The cub interjects.
2: No. Uh, a relieved thanks.
1: An old female emerges from the crowd carrying with her several folds of leather. There are different kinds with different levels of toughness, which is perfect for my purposes. They even thought to include additional cord. I am, of course, extremely grateful, but now far more wary about the remaining journey ahead of me.
2: Go with our blessing, but I implore you not to head north. Our shaman was among those who left us, We have no guidance but our own common sense.
1: Garak, what do you think is out there? Monsters? Demons?
2: I could not tell you anything for certain. Save that the warriors taken from us were fierce and bold and would not be beaten easily. I do not believe it is something that any cat can fight.
1: Well, I will head that way nonetheless. If I return alive, I will visit you and tell you what is to be found. The old panther translates this for his granddaughter. She says something back to him and glances at me, her eyes now uncertain, filled with a different kind of fear. She gestures to the jewelry adorning her throat, decorated with a curving half-circle of garnet.
2: She asks if you can look for a chieftain wearing the other half of her necklace, even if it is only his body. She would like to know.
0: His name is... was...
1: Shala. I bow low, and she turns away from me, stalking back through the villagers with her head held high. She avoids their looks and says something brief and formal before disappearing into the large central hut. I already have so much to do for one cub, but I cannot forget that look in her eye. I step back from their gateway with some reluctance as the old cat nods his head in gratitude and gathers the rest of the villagers to him. When I said I would gladly eat with them, that was the truth. I would stay with these people for a time. I am hungry and tired, and without my family, the isolation I put myself through daily is without respite. But what of Miguel? If I spend any longer here than is wholly necessary, the chances of his discovery skyrocket. My own people wanted him gone immediately. When faced with something so very alien and unsettling, what would a tribe do who have lost their protection and those they love to something so unknown? I cannot begin to comprehend the fear that must grip them right now. We leave the villagers to bring in the first decent meal they will have had in a while. I glance back and try not to think about the Durga tribe. Ahead of us, in the north, lies an unknown threat. Is this Miguel's door or something else? To our back, I know Haka stalks us relentlessly, awaiting his moment. If we head west or east in a wide circle, he will surely follow. I must repair and reinforce my armor and prepare for a fight. I must reach the waterfall as soon as possible. I must get rid of this thing upon my back. And then I must go home if they will take me back. I sit, cross legged, upon an outcrop, overlooking a valley where two ages are locked in an inexorably slow battle. On one side of this conflict you have yesterday, the tall stone spires of our forefathers. On the other, you have today, the insistent push of nature as the forest grows up underneath, through and over. The plant life builds a lush red cocoon around the venerable cityscape, forming a replica in biological architecture. In the air hang motes of pollen drifting in the breeze and glowing in the light of dawn. This is not a place that appears cursed. Far from it. Miguel does not speak with me and is hiding his work. I let him. My armor is fixed and strong again, and I pull myself into it with a little more confidence. I must find a safe place to sleep one last time, and then I will power north through the next night and day until at last we reach the place where this world can be rid of him. The cub turns and holds out a paw. He wants something again. What more can you possibly take from me? Then I see he has something held in that paw. I reach out my own, and he places into it a new armlet. It is constructed of leather cord and the buttons from his shirt. I stare at it. I cannot look at him. A mixture of feelings course through me, so strong and potent that they threaten to overcome my senses. I cannot separate them out. Gingerly, I fasten the cord around my bicep. Miguel continues to say nothing. Something is drawing near. Something huge. I can feel the ground beneath us tremble as a slow, intermittent, throbbing drum beats itself louder and louder. And then we see them. Emerging from behind the towers in the distance are behemoths I have only ever heard spoken about in stories. I have seen something like their kind before on long-ranging hunts. Enormous, graceful, noble creatures, many times the size of a full-grown tiger. We call them elephants. But these towering giants are to elephants, as I would be to an infant cub. They move slowly, methodically, calling to one another in a low, musical cry. The largest at the front is the bull, its immense tusks curving out into fearsome points The mother walks behind him, smaller in frame, eyes watchful to the sides, and behind her lopes their child. Even this younger creature would still dwarf me were I to stand beside it. It holds purchase onto the back of her tail with its trunk. Miguel and I are witness to a sacred majesty Watching these titans make their way through the overgrown graveyard, negotiating through the bonework of the last age. I watch intently as the three of them pass out of our sight. I may never see their like again. Then, with no further reason to delay, we pick our way down the sloping hillside path and into the city. If something so vast and impossible to miss can be hidden within its walls, so can we. I cannot sleep. Of course I cannot sleep. I have difficulty drifting off safe at home in my house, behind the door my father fixed, and upon the bed he made for me. I cannot sleep when life is running smoothly for everyone around me. Now I am in a strange, ancient place, bursting with life, carrying with me the seed of another world, and pursued by a powerful magic user with a deeply personal grudge. Even if I did sleep... I would be angry at myself for drifting off. But it is the knowing I must sleep that makes it impossible. I absolutely have to regather my strength for tomorrow. I will be running non-stop and without sleep. With no energy reserves, I will be more vulnerable than ever. With no rest for my mind, I am liable to make poor decisions. Like fishing this thing out of the river... We are currently holed up inside an old house, quite unlike the kind my family construct. The walls close in around us, and dusty air hangs heavy. I have one open eye watchful through the window and into the street outside. Miguel has crawled up on a large clump of moss in one corner of the room. His eyes are closed. I run a pad over the rounded buttons on my new armlet, then pull my paw away, grinding my teeth and screwing my eyelids shut. Sleep. Now! My ears, however, cannot shut. I listen to the whole city. It is no wonder the villagers we met choose this area to hunt in. The plant life grows in such abundance that herbivores have flocked to its avenues. They, in turn, brought predators with them. I can hear growling and the echoes of fresh kills every so often. But there is no sign of any more intelligent beings. No leopards, panthers, and certainly no other tigers. What can have happened to the hunters? The warriors, the shaman, the chief, all vanished. I admit to myself that visiting this place was avoidable. There were paths round it and more familiar, reliable places to hide. Is it simply my curiosity that brought me here, or something more? Reliable, familiar, and safer didn't help us when Haka attacked before. Only threatening to end my own life spared Miguel's. I mull this over he doesn't want me to die and neither do I wish him dead but our crossed purposes converge on the continued existence of Miguel I wonder if it came to a genuine struggle who would break first I focus on Haka where are you I can almost smell you. What will you do? How far will you go? I have him. That was not an imagined scent. He is here. He is in this city. He approaches us right now. I sprang to my feet and roused Miguel. We have to get out of here, head north. I pray that the unfamiliar terrain will keep Haka at a disadvantage long enough for us to elude him. We are in the street, hurrying as quietly as possible. There is no evading the eyes. Birds, beasts, everywhere. I can already feel my low reserves of energy bottoming out as I struggle to contain my fear miguel is under my arm for speed and protection my other paw clutches one of my spears ready to take the head off the first thing that leaps at me manipulated innocent or not i now lack the sheer dexterity required to keep my attackers alive i am startled by a flock of archaeopteryx who skitter over the nearby rooftops and dive across the gaps in between taking to the air on feathered wings The size of their prominent, tearing claws send shivers down my spine. Mercifully, they do not look our way, and I dart out into the street to move us closer to the northwestern edge. I stop. Time slows. I turn. Far down the street... Standing in plain sight, his golden eyes locked on mine, Haka waits. I set Miguel down, and without looking at his face, I point to an alleyway. No, I have no word for go that he will understand. With the same paw, I mime walking, and then end in a jerking extension of all my pads before lowering the arm. The best I can do to signify away. This is his last chance. The odds against his survival between here and his waterfall are monumental, but it was the best I could do. Okay. I must hold Haka for as long as I can. I hear the cubs scurry away.
0: You've been listening to Tiger's Eye, written, edited, and produced by Alex Shaw with a full cast. Presenter, Megan Hopwood. Rao performed by Maureen Foley. Garak, performed by Matt Wardle. Shal, performed by Loretta Saylor. Miguel, performed by Alex Shaw. The main theme is Agent in Shanghai by 1M1 Music, courtesy of Shockwave Sounds. You also heard Decline, Plaint, Devastation and Revenge, Thunder Dreams, Tempting Secrets, and Whimsy Groove, performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompatech.com Our special sponsors this month were Nick Krugin, Joel Robinson, Russell Osborne, David Garcia Abril, Maureen Foley, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler Lorraine Chisham Livio Della Cruz, Scott Corzine, Erish Traverse, and Ian and Megan Hopwood. And of course, to all our sponsors and supporters, massive thank yous. Come to the Digital Drift Forum to discuss these shows with the fan base, or you can post messages directly on the Patreon feed. If you aren't able to support New Century with your dollars, then there are, of course, other ways you can help it grow. And those are four or five-star iTunes reviews. And if you can take the time to say a few kind words in a review, that all helps the show gain visibility and gets it into the ears of new listeners. And the iTunes review this week is from Enduring Gundam. Thank you so, so much Gundam for your awesome words. It's, uh, it's, it's really heartening hearing how excited folks can get about the show. Uh, Night Vale's got like 600 or so reviews, folks. That's an achievable number. And I will read out the names of everyone who ever gives us a review, so you know what to do. And I want to give a super massive huge thank you to Megan and Ian Hopwood who have helped us so much this month. They helped us get a camera and a microphone for our new YouTube series uh, which is in the works coming in the next few months and it will be all about movies. This level of uh, investment in the shows that we do, it's, it's truly humbling that someone would uh, enjoy us so much and believe in us so much. So. And I don't expect that from anyone. It's way above and beyond the Call of Duty as a fan. So thank you both deeply from the bottom of my and Sharon's hearts.